When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, every time he sees a creature with the toxic keyword, he can't help but start singing Britney Spears. It's Matt Morgan. So it is a well-known fact, Joey, that if you run in front of a moving car, you're going to get pretty tired. But it is not as well known that if you run behind the moving car, all you'll get is exhausted. Wow. Tired, indeed. A bit too many (laughs) of the the time. Way too tired. Um, And very exhausted. Working on on several levels here, Matt. (laughs) I'm trying to just make my jokes a little more complex. All I want is to be adored. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. We're going to truck along to our next introduction. (laughs) Okay. I I was hoping you could recover from that one. (laughs) Uh, that was that was fantastic. All right, up next, his sword of Forge and Frontier is more like a sort of Forge and Frontier. That's Dana Broach. Uh, why can't pirates play magic? Uh, why is that? Are you it, gonna tell me? Uh, uh, there's no way to deal the cards when you're standing on the deck. Hmm. Uh, I don't know, Dana. That was a pretty patchy joke. I think. <laughs> I think it was or inspiring, but we could just sail away from this one. <laughs> now I want to know what it means to swab the poop deck when you're playing magic. <laughs> I don't. Okay, so we're going to go on. This is the EDH Recast. <laughs> Oh no, this is this sure is an introduction. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, we like to give all that data a little more context. <laughs> uh, Dana, I think you can maybe be trusted with this question. What are we talking about in this week's episode? Well, just like last week where we talked about Matt's favorite topic, Matt, we're going to discuss <laughs> my favorite topic this week, which is me and my decks. Oh, goodness. You mean yeah. you and your murder boards. <laughs> yes, there we go. <laughs> this is true. Dana does have a pretty uh, a complicated version of how he puts decks together. It's a very intricate and almost conspiratorial type of process. But yeah, we're going to do a bit of a dive into one of your commander decks and see what it says about you, the way that it differs from the data, and learn what we can, like the different lessons from the journey that you went on through building it. And that should be a pretty fun, introspective uh, kind of thing to go through, I think. But before we get into talking about you, Dana, we got a couple of sponsors and a couple of fun folks that we want to shout out. The first one, I shout out and thank Chase, also known as Manicurbs, for their help in editing the show. And you can find them on Twitter at Manicurbs. We're ecstatic to tell you that EDHREC has also partnered with Coalesce Apparel and Design. Coalesce has an amazing line of magic-inspired apparel. And if you've ever wanted EDHREC shirts or hoodies, you can now go browse the EDHREC collection. Head to Coalesce and use code EDHREC for 10% off your order. That's code EDHREC. 
And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking and subscribing on YouTube, subscribing on your local podcast app, or by going to patreon.com slash edhretcast, where we have Patreon tiers of all sorts of levels, whether you want to see all of our historic challenges, stats, picks, you want to see the episodes a day early, there's all that and more over at patreon.com slash edhretcast, including the coveted weekly shout out to one of our patrons who just went to that site and signed up. So this week, Tim Collings, we're calling out your name (laughs) Because you are the supporter that we're calling out so, and not calling out. me, maybe. <laughs> Matt, I think you found your calling in life, which is over the top ridiculous jokes. Tim Collins, thank you so much. <laughs> the, the jokes write themselves. But thank you, Tim, for all the support. We definitely appreciate it. All right. So let's let's get into our topic here, guys. So, Danny, we're doing a bit of a a depth tech on one of your commander decks, and we'll see what it says about you, the ways that it differs from the data on EDHREC, what lessons we can learn about how you built it and all of that. But first, we got to know what the deck is, why you built it, how does it work? What is the commander that you're going to introduce us to here in this episode? So the, the deck we're looking at is my Arden Intrepid Archaeologist and Essior Wardwing Familiar uh, Equipment Voltron deck. It's at this point about two years old, I think. Um, and I'm pretty happy with it. I think I've, I've made a significant amount of changes over the course of those two years. Obviously, I still add cards when new sets come out, but I'm pretty happy with how it plays. Um, and it's pretty effective for being something you don't see very often, which is an Azorius Equipment deck. Hmm, very much. So let's go through the exact wording on those commanders too real quick. Sure. So Arden um, is two and white for a core scout, uh, two, two. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you may attach any number of auras and equipment you control to target a permanent or player. Um, Arden has partner and Essior is just a one, three flying bird. Um, spells your opponent's control that target one or more commanders you control cost three more to cast. So it's not truly ward because it only affects spells, but it does make it more difficult for people to remove both of my commanders. Yeah, I think we're probably all pretty familiar with Arden as the commander. I think that we see it a lot and especially like any Boros equipment decks out there. But the actual combination here of Arden plus Essior, that combination only has 278 decks, according to EDHREC, of which you are one member. Um, So, Dana, once again, we are seeing that you tend to find decks that don't see as much play in a lot of other places. You have, have found your way into combinations that are a little bit more off the wall compared to the more mainstream stuff that I like to build. And I am very interested to see why you've gone with this color combination and what are the things you learned from doing it, Uh, especially because, as you said, yeah, it is by the numbers a little bit more rare than usual. Yeah, I I mean, that's definitely something I, I, I intentionally did here. Um, at some point years ago, I picked up a couple of the original Mirrodin swords. Um, so I had them sitting around and I, I had judge foils of a couple of them. So like, I, I want to put those in some deck here at some point. So I'm like, I'll build an equipment commander at, along the way. But I, I knew I didn't want to build a Boros one. There's a handful of different Boros equipment options. And I just felt like no matter what commander you pick, it's probably going to look like every other Boros equipment deck. So I, I, the best way I felt to make it play differently or and feel unique was to go with some different color combination. The first thing I tried years ago was was Tasa Envoy of Ghosts um, in, in black and white, but she was seven mana. Like if I had enough time to get Tasa out and suit her up, um, she could punch through and, and it was fine. But like. 
once somebody board wipes and I'm casting nine and I have to re-equip stuff and and hope I have drawn like that pure steel powder or something. Um, there was just a lot of things that, that didn't work. And additionally, taste has protection from creatures, which I thought would be nice when it came to attacking people, because then I could I could consistently poke through and hit them regardless of blockers, except for swords kind of wind up doing that. If you've got a couple swords on a creature, they probably have protection from some, some combination of things that very often make your creature unblockable, particularly at once you've you know got seven mana to get your creature out in the first place, you probably have enough equipment on it. To, to punch through. So then it felt like the keyword was kind of being wasted as well. So I folded that deck after a couple months of testing it out. And it, it was one of those things that in the back of my mind for a long period of time, I was just like, okay, what would work? What, what, what can I figure out? And when we got Arden in that the, the Commander Legends partner set, the fact that I could pair that up with any color combination, kind of, it was something I knew I wanted to do. So then it was just a matter of me like, thinking about it until I eventually decided on Azorius and, and then SUR one up being the obvious pairing. Well, and one thing I want to point out, Dana, is you, I think you've undersold this deck several times every time we've <laughs> talked about it on the podcast before, because you mentioned that, you know, yeah, SUR not quite Ward 3 is basically hexproof for the first few stages of the game. Mm-hmm. And this deck is so stinking resilient I, I am always impressed with how well you're able to protect your board state throughout pretty much any stage of the game, whether it's because SUR protects your commanders, which the deck doesn't lean into quite a bit. But even as you go on, you're not playing a ton of counterspells, but the the support cards around everything protect your your important pieces so stinking well. And it's just it's always frustrating to play against, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to tell you that that was my plan from the get-go. I mean, I, I was aware that the SUR ability was useful, um, but I didn't go into it assuming that, okay, what I can do is I'll play this commander, I'll be able to play SUR on turn two, and then I can drop Arden on turn three, and, and that will keep them protected until I can get some equipment out in turn four and start suiting them up with stuff that gives protection from colors. That wasn't what my thought process was, but that's how it worked out, right? <laughs> so like once yeah. I had the deck and started playing it, sure. I realized, oh, I, I can be very aggro with this because SUR does protect both himself and Arden. And I get, and then once I get equipment on, on my commander, then at that point when people are able to pay that ward tax, it becomes irrelevant because they have protection from multiple colors. And since you're in blue, you have counter spells, which is the other amazing way that you can protect this stuff. But like, it's actually not even just counter spells that are doing this. Like, you've also got access to like the Teferi's protection style stuff that's keeping you're like mm-hmm. your stuff is so safe from removal that it's just like that. That is kind of exactly what you want from a Voltron. Like, you see a little one three in the air, and you're like, oh, it's got evasion. That's probably something I should take note of but you have so many other things that are protecting you beyond the ward and beyond the counter spells and beyond even the tef pro like yeah matt is absolutely right in saying how resilient this thing can be i kind of want to linger on something you just said there about like playing sur on turn two and then arden on turn three is that usually the play pattern or is it actually that arden is more of a i play this late after i've gotten a, a couple of equipment in play like how does that dynamic tend to unfold in terms of the deck's tempo probably depends what i have in, in hand for equipment so like if i only early on have one piece of equipment in hand that I don't necessarily need to rush Arden out because I could just I could just equip up SUR just with a hard cost and then focus on doing something else. So like let's say I I only have one piece of equipment and a couple draw spells. 
well, then I'll leave Arden back and I'll just get SCR suited up and then cast those draw spells to hopefully get a couple pieces of equipment, then drop Arden and play the equipment and, and equip it all for free. So it's just going to, it tends to depend on what the opening hand is, but almost every time I do want to get, get SCR out right away. So, so Dana, what do you think is probably the, the biggest surprise? So we, we, this was a question that I really liked how you guys asked me this about my Raga Draga deck last week. So turn the question back on you. When you play this deck, what surprises people the most after the first few turns and then just over the course of the game? What do you think people don't expect the most or don't or expect the least? However you want to phrase that question <laughs> back to you. Uh, um, you mentioned the resilience for one. Um, that's definitely part of it. But I, I think the other thing would be how fast it can generate like killing a player amount of damage um, on a 1-3 bird. Um <laughs> Because yeah. sometimes the Voltron decks, like, like sometimes the plan is to hit somebody for, you know, eight or nine damage three times. Um, this deck tends to not really work that way. Um, I, I will spend a couple turns maybe chumping people for, you know, two or three damage and it doesn't look necessarily that scary. And then I'll hit that inflection point where I've drawn a couple cards and then all of a sudden drop like three or four pieces of equipment with protection in hand that I can sit up with the commander and then just start like one-shotting people. So it goes from not being very scary for a couple turns to all of a sudden people are like, oh, I we're just going to die over the course of the next three turns. Uh, can cosign. Yeah, that's something I think people not only don't expect just because the deck all this does it very quickly, you tend to not expect that in Azorius, uh, which is a color combination kind of known for struggling with wind conditions that aren't infinite combo wind conditions. Yeah. So, so seeing that like commander damage, combat damage thing coming from a Azorius deck tends to throw people off. Well, and for, it shouldn't throw me off because my whole family plays this game with me and like my mom has two different Azorius decks and one of them is winning with commander damage. Another one is winning with a bunch of flyers. Like I am used to being combat damaged by Azorius and yours still surprises me with how much output it has. And I think the fact of how cheap your commanders are is what plays into that. Like even if I do find a way to, let's say, wipe the board from your stuff, your first commander only costs you two mana. So it's only four to recast and your other commander would only cost you five mana to recast. So like rebuild building is actually not even that much of a worry for you either and that is another thing that i know surprises me is how quickly you bounce back even when i think i finally got a moment to breathe i, I actually just for don't arden just bounces around every single equip cost by itself and you can do it all in one swoop so it's kind of like putting a, a pure steel paladin-esque <laughs> effect into the command zone which is so silly powerful uh, because in an, in an Azorius, where you're not ramping a whole lot either, you're still able to skirt those mana costs because Arden's ability is just that powerful, which helps with the rebuilding process. Yeah, and the other thing that Arden adds too, especially about rebuilding, is I'm running a handful of lands that very cheaply turn into creatures. Mm. Um, so like, like there's a Blink Moth Nexus in here, an Ink Moth Nexus. There's a you know Mishra's Factory. Um, mm -hmm. Things that I can spend like one or two mana and turn them into a creature. And, and where that's useful is after somebody board wipes. So like someone casts a Wrath of God or a Day of Judgment or whatever it is that I can't deal with, all, all our creatures die. Um, and then usually the assumption is that there's a turn or so where you have to, before you have to worry about me casting a creature and then re-equipping it and before I can swing back at you. But those creature lands let me skirt that. I can, can come back to me and like even if Ard if if Arden is costing like seven or nine, um, which doesn't necessarily even happen that often, I can just drop drop Arden, spend one mana to turn that Ink Moth Nexus into a creature, and then use Arden's ability just to to throw you know twenty four damage back onto <laughs> worth of equipment back onto that creature and swing and take somebody out. So. 
it, not only does Arden let me rebuild the, the, the quote-unquote correct way, it lets me kind of cheat that sometimes and use those creature lands. I, I really want to, like, that is <laughs> it's so dastardly and so cool. So a thing that I wanted to bring up is that I compared your deck list against the average Arden and Essior deck list, and you have 45 cards that are different from that average deck list. And one of the biggest things that does make your deck unique is precisely what you just mentioned there, is all of the self-animating creature lands that just come out of nowhere, but are actually like probably your deck's other biggest secret weapon. Because yeah, suddenly a Blink Moth Nexus that is wearing a couple of swords and an Inquisitor flail to double all the damage that it's going to do and it has double strike and like all of that pump is just like oh oh yeah no i i shouldn't be afraid of commander damage i should just be afraid right yeah yeah in particular at the point in the game when that happens too people have lost a little bit of life so i'm like less reliant on commander damage if, I, if i'm hitting you for you know 18 or 20 at, at that point in the game that's probably a kill anyway regardless of commander damage or not so this does make me wonder, given all of those unique cards that are in the deck, do you have any specific pet cards that are different from the usual equipment-y kind of stuff or the usual Azoria stuff? Any pet cards that you just cannot help but run in this deck? Um, Echo Storm is one of those cards that yes! is almost always funny. Um, I'm, uh, so, I'm so happy you brought that one up. Sorry, if you didn't, <laughs> yeah. I was going to because I love that card so much. So. Uh, when you cast a spell, you copy it for each time you've cast your commander from the command zone um, this game. Um, and you can choose new targets for the copy, um, and you create a token that's a copy of target artifact. Um, so five mana, almost every time I cast it, it's just giving me three copies of something, which is almost always some disgusting piece of equipment. So the value on that is insane. Like the worst case scenario winds up being like three copies of whatever the best sword I have out is. I now have five Colossus hammers. Yeah. <laughs> like that just sounds amazing. Um, and, and I think also the other one I would say at, at this point in time, I don't think it's that big of a secret how good Shimmer Dragon is. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of Shimmer Dragon, for those that, that don't know, lets you tap two artifacts to draw a card. Um, and it has Hexproof if you have four or more artifacts, which I basically always do in the stack. Um, so despite that, that everyone knows it's a great card, for some reason, I think, because like people forget that you can you can tap equipment. And I have multiple things in the stack that let me just tap whatever sword <laughs> SEO is wearing at the time to get some extra benefit that doesn't really make a difference at all. So Shimmer Dragon's out and I'll, you know, attack and hit somebody and then tap all six pieces of equipment to draw three cards. <laughs> um, that always feels really good. Um, in the similar world, there's a couple things, um, stuff like reverse engineer that has improvised. So I can, I can tap three artifacts to basically make reverse engineer be a two mana draw three because the artifacts I'm tapping are almost always equipment. So being able to tap pieces of equipment is actually, is, is not only very effective, it always feels like I'm like doing something that no one's ready for. That's definitely interesting, Dana. Although I, I am kind of curious looking through your deck list, which by the way, everyone, all of our deck lists are in the show notes of every episode, by the way, if you wanted to check this one out for yourself, I realized that we didn't actually state that earlier, but I probably should have said it. Um, but Dana, in looking over your deck list, I can't help but notice that you're not currently playing Inspiring Statuary, which would also let you tap all of your equipments, all of your artifacts uh, for more mana because of that improvisability. Um, is there a reason that you're not using that one, given how much you like tapping all of those artifacts? Uh, I, I do like doing it a lot, and that was in the deck once upon of time the reason is inspiring saturary only works with non-artifact spells mm. so this deck has has 30 artifact spells in it 
of my 11 creatures, I think four of them are also artifacts. And then there's a handful of them that like don't have any colorless mana costs at all. Um, you know, Pure Steel Paladin doesn't, Swords to Plowshares doesn't, Path to Exile doesn't. Mm. Um, a couple of the counter spells don't. So it wound up being, I, I can't remember the exact number, but at one point in time when I counted it, it was like it only actually was able to be used for like 19 of my spells or something in the deck. Versus if I just ran some mana rock in that slot, I could use it for like, you know, 56 things or something. <laughs> yeah. um, so it, when I had it, it, very rarely did I find it actually was better than just a mana rock. And there were enough times when I had it out and I couldn't actually use it for what I wanted to use it for. So I just replaced it with a mana rock. This just happens to be a deck where the amount of artifacts I have makes it so it doesn't quite work. Yeah, Dana, I was also wondering about Inspiring Statuary, but that makes a lot of sense hearing you talk that out. And then looking at the deck list, yeah, there there's a couple cards that are nice. Like, it helps you cast your Shimmer Dragon and maybe an Austere Command. Sure. Like, yep. there are some good cards, but that's literally every deck. But then if you look at the typical card, it's not, yeah, you're right. It's maybe getting you a mana or two every turn, which in that case, you can just run a whole slew of other cards. So that that is an interesting Interesting explanation and appreciate that thought process. But I do have a question for you. Mm -hmm. So we, we've talked a lot about what this deck is good at, what it, what it does well, which is a lot of things. But is there anything that the deck doesn't do well or does it have a, a particular weakness that you have had to kind of play around as you've been tuning the deck more and more? So the, the one I wasn't quite prepared for is because of the amount of treasure um, people run these days. I've ran into multiple different copies of Titania's Song, <laughs> which is a an old green enchantment that turns all artifacts into basically creatures that have the same same uh, power and toughness as their mana value. Mm -hmm. Which people run to kill treasures primarily because if your treasures are zero zeros, they're they're dead. So it's it's I've seen it multiple times as anti treasure tech. It has the added effect of turning off equipment as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I've actually, I think on a, on a couple different occasions, at least twice with this deck, ran into someone who had a Titanium song out. And if I can't equip stuff or, or I can't use my equipment because it doesn't have abilities, then, I, then I'm kind of dead in the water. I, I have to be able to put equipment onto a creature and hit somebody if that's not something I can do. I don't have like any backup plan that doesn't involve punching someone in the face. That's yeah, no, no backup plan is a really important weakness to point out there. Like you are yeah. all in on the, the equipment or, yes. or making you win the game. So all into the point where I have no, I intentionally so have no enchantments in this deck. It's a, it's, it's a deck that I have, which is something I tend to do. I like to have a deck that doesn't have a card type just because I, it, it's something that I kind of find fun. And this is, this is the deck that has no enchantments in it at all. So yeah, I'm, I'm very heavily leaning into that strategy intentionally. So, so that was something that I noticed and I was going to save this question for later on, but since you brought it up, was that intentional to not do any enchantments in the deck? Because I know that you have cards like Nettlesist that can count the enchantments that you have, mm. but also you only have Patrician Scorn, which is an enchantment board wipe. It destroys all enchantments. Is there a reason why you haven't played more enchantment destruction? Because enchantments are very, very powerful card type, um, and you only really have Heliod's Intervention and Generous Gift as ways to get rid of them once they're on the board. Is that something you've considered playing around for a little bit more, or is that just kind of what was the thought process there, I guess, is my question. Um, yeah. So Patrician Scorn, for those that don't know, um, if you play a white spell this turn, you may play Patrician Scorn without paying its mana cost. And it says destroy all enchantments, including your own. Um, 
So it's very frequently just a like free spell in my hand. I will, you know, cast a source of plowshares to blow up a thing I need to blow up, and then I will just also <laughs> drop Patrician Scorn and blow up every enchantment, and I have no enchantments, so it doesn't affect me. Hmm. Yeah, it, it was a situation where I, I found myself uh, at one point down to just like three enchantments in the deck, and one of which was Sagarda's Aid that I actually then wasn't really using because I had Arden out so often it became redundant. Yeah, and gets around that, yeah. It's good to have redundant effects. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but this was a case where the redundancy wasn't ever needed, um, particularly because I had a couple other things like Pure Steel Paladin that let me get around costs. So I, I only needed so many redundant effects, and that one felt like it was the easiest one to remove. Pure Steel Paladin also draws cards, has a little extra utility. I can put equipment on it if I need to swing in. So like then I cut Sigarda's aid, so I'm like I'm down to two enchantments then, and at that point I'm like, well, let's just make this be a deck with no enchantments because at at that point I had an enchantress deck with no artifacts, so I just thought that would be kind of a cool parallel to that one to have my equipment deck then have no um, enchantments as well, and then I've always wanted to put Patrician Scorn in a deck, and I I so I'm like well there we go, so I'll just pull all my enchantment the the last two I have out, put Patrician Scorn in, and in in run from there. Sure, um, sure. Could I use maybe one or two rule spells? Probably, but you always kind of can. Um, and this deck does draw a ton of cards, so it's a situation where, despite the fact that I probably only have you know four or five different ways to answer other people's enchantments, I tend to see them to the point that I need to see them because I'm digging down deep enough. <laughs> yeah, a lot of these blue equipment draw cards. So like- yeah, I, I was I was gonna say if, if we had a yearbook quote for each of us in the podcast, Dana's would be, "Yeah, this deck draws a lot of cards." <laughs> <laughs> that's just yeah. that's just yeah. Dana's yearbook quote right there. <laughs> that's very very funny. I, I also like lingering on the nettle cyst point though. Like that is an equipment that I can easily see some domino deck building that's gone on here. Like nettle cyst is just a really good equipment. You get buffs for every enchantment. You're not playing those, but also buffs for every artifact that you have. And that has wormed its way not only into the types of cards that you choose, like in terms of which spells you'll play, but also your land base is mega affected by the presence of just that one card. I'm seeing a lot of artifact lands in this deck. Ancient then the whole works like you have a lot of those things mm-hmm. which will incidentally just happen to buff up some of those other like nettle cysty type of cards and i mean it, it does mean that your weakness again you will fold to that titania song you will right. fold to matt playing a bane of progress your a vandal blast really wrecks your day my guy absolutely but those are really cool ways to find extra edges and i think for you it's probably just an excuse to not have to play as many basic lands because for some reason you hate basic lands but also <laughs> there's still only eight in a two-color deck <laughs> And I, yeah, you have a lot of utility lands here, but the artifact lands make a whole lot of sense, and it's all just because of a single card. Like, that's a big lesson for me to take away from this. If I was wondering, why, what's with all the artifact lands? There's one card that is an explanation for, like, five, six, seven, eight of the slots that are in your land, uh, in your land base, and that's an important distinction to, to point out about decks like this. Yeah. Uh, the other, I mean, I guess technically there is a Mox Opal in here, too, so it does help with things like hits me the affinity for Mox Opal. And, you know, if I have four artifacts out for Shimmer Dragon, it, it's what gives it yeah. um, hexproof at that point. There you go. Uh, Indomitable Archangel has a Metalcraft too. So like there's a couple of things that that making sure I have three or four artifacts over that threshold helps with. So it isn't necessarily just for one card, but yeah, it's it's for like just three or four cards is the only reason I have those those artifact lines in there for sure. Well, Dana, I, I really appreciate all of those insights and I it's hard for me to challenge a lot of those thoughts, but Matthew you know is not hard to challenge. At Matthew. least for me, is the stats and Matthew. Joey's ability to make your- the segue <laughs> into our challenge stats segment this week. Matthew, Sarah, Jessica, Parker, Morgan. I, I let me have. <laughs> you don't get to have. 
you, I, I will not let you just have. I, I just... <laughs> This is this is the eternal trade-off that I've made, isn't it? I got a little bit better at the dad jokes this year, which means I've lost my ability to make segues into different pod, pod, <laughs> podcast segments. Listen, we're, we're a month into 2023, and you haven't gotten a segue yet, and we're going to keep it that way. <laughs> Thanks. Let's challenge some <laughs> stats. I'm so excited. Thank you, Matt. There, there are a few other things. Specifically, I want to dig into the cards that uh, Dana isn't playing, but we'll save that for part two. We've gotten some groundwork here, but we've got to pause to challenge those stats, challenge that data on EDHREC. We'll take a break for that and then come back. Alrighty, well, I am going to start off the Challenge the Stats segment this week, and specifically, I want to look into a Grixis commander, a pretty new commander, Ashnod the Uncaring. There is a card, sort of non-bow here, that I think is really worth considering, especially given that the card I'm going to challenge here is a little bit expensive. So it's kind of a rule situation that I want to make sure uh, folks know if they're going to build this commander. Ashnod the Uncaring is that new 5-mana Grixis 1-4 Death Dutch Human Artificer that says whenever you activate an ability of an artifact or creature that isn't a mana ability, if one or more permanents were sacrificed to activate it, you may copy that ability and you may choose new targets for the copy. And I mean, that's a really cool effect. If you're sacrificing stuff, you get to double up those effects. I mean, this is sacrificing things. This is way up my alley. And I can totally see the appeal. There's a lot of just general aristocracy stuff going on here. There's also a couple of cards that are a bit more about the artifact recursion and manipulation. And that's way fun. Like if you are using Koldotha Forge Master, you sacrifice stuff and you get multiple effects of Koldotha Forge Master. I totally see the appeal here. This is kind of neat. But there's the card Goblin Welder showing up in about a third of Ashnod decks so far, and that one is a little bit trickier, and so I wanted to linger on it, because it's about a $20 card, and I want to make sure that if folks are going to put this into their Ashnod decks, they know the way that the rules work here. Goblin Welder specifically does have a tap ability that will cause a sacrifice of an artifact, but you got to take very careful note of where the colon is placed in that ability because it doesn't have sacrifice as part of the activation cost. That has a sacrifice as part of the resolution of the ability where it switches an artifact in play with an artifact in the graveyard. So Goblin Welder won't actually have that effect be doubled by Ashnod because the sacrifice wasn't part of activating the ability. It's part of the ability resolving. That's just kind of a complicated thing. And since Goblin Welder is 20 bucks, that is a rules non-bow that I just want folks to be aware of if this is a commander that they are going to build if you're going to do some cool artifact graveyard stuff this could be a really good card but know that it will be different than a lot of the other sacrifice stuff that you're doing in that deck that was a whole bunch of stuff that's me with my challenge let's move it on to the next one the card i'm going to challenge here tonight is one that's in the deck we're actually discussing hmm. um, that's unexpectedly absent it's an instant speed spell um x white white and it says put target non-land permanent into its owner's library just beneath the top x cards of that library this is card's been around for a few years, and I ignored it for a long period of time. Um, I, I think the X on it is distracting, and that's why it's only in just over 6,000 decks. I think people look at it and think, I don't want to have to spend like six mana to bury a permanent down like four or five cards where they can't get to it. Um, you don't have to do that. I, I, what I've found in, in my testing, and in, in, I've liked it so much, it's found its way into like three or four of my decks now. Um, very often just putting the card on the top of someone's library is enough to, number one, deal with a problem that turn. Like if, if someone's trying to alpha strike you with something you need to have gone, just putting it on the top of their library is oftentimes long enough to get rid of it to solve to solve the problem or solve them as a problem. Hmm. Um, you know, maybe you need to bury it down one or two if, you're, if, if the game's really early, but like oftentimes that's enough, particularly given how often people search libraries in Commander. 
I found really, really often I can just do it for white, white in response to someone cracking a fetch land or casting a tutor spell and just bury it without having to like spend any mana at all on the X. There's also some utility in the card that isn't really super obvious. You can use it to stall out a top of deck tutor. Like even if somebody, if there's something that you don't care about that much, but somebody vamp tutors, you buy yourself a turn by putting a card above the vamp tutor. Hmm. Um, and I've even one time used it to buy a turn off an approach for the second sun where someone cast an approach and then went to dig down to that approach and they were digging down the number of cards to get to it. And I was able to delay that by a turn by putting one card above on top of their library where the approach was. So it's one of those cards that I think is very, very good when you just look at the face value. And it's even better when you kind of realize there's a lot of extra utility you could use with this card. So it's in 6,000 decks. It's dirt cheap and it should be in more. So Dana, I am, I am going to push back actually, Dana. So you said you can just bury the card in response to somebody doing a shuffle effect. Uh, bury is an old term for destroy. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, okay, fair point. Man. Hasn't been used since, I believe, beta, <laughs> but just so you know. Destroy and it can't be regenerated if it was a berry. <laughs> yeah. There it is. I believe technically, yes, yes. Well, and, and also, like, unexpectedly absent is also unexpectedly mean just because, like, you blank their next draw step. Yeah. Like, uh, you will get exactly the thing that you had before. You're not going to get anything new. So even if you are going to replay something that's very impressive, you will not have gotten anything new that will help you adapt to whatever the board looks like now a full round later. And that's another kind of like secretly insidious aspect of this card that is also worth noting i uh yeah i might i might give this one another look that's interesting yeah so i'm going to wrap us up then with our listener submitted uh challenge stats this week uh and so simeon dickman sent us an email which you can do as well uh, edhretcast at gmail.com and they so Simeon sent us this email and they pointed out two things that i love one is when they're challenging a card that is overplayed and two when it's a card that otherwise is fantastic. And so, believe it or not, we are saying this week that the Reaver Cleaver is overplayed in certain commander decks. So the Reaver Cleaver is a fantastic card. It's two and a red, and the equipped creature gets plus one, plus one, and has its trample. And whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player or planeswalker, you create that many treasure tokens. This is a really good point by Sivian. If you're playing a commander like Karn the Betrayer, uh, Slicer, one of the new cards, Slicer Hired Muscle, which also goes around the table, you're giving opponents a chance to generate a huge mana advantage with the Reaver Cleaver on there. Currently in Karn the Betrayer decks, 41% of decks are playing this, and that is too high for a commander that is very easily given around the table. Your opponents are still going to be able to generate all the mana. So if you're playing any commander that changes hands fairly often, the Reaver Cleaver probably is not the equipment that you want to be slapping on there because it's just going to backfire more often than not. This is especially like the wording of Reaver Cleaver is the super important thing here because it gives the ability to the equipped creature rather than the equipment being the thing that generates the treasure. Mm -hmm. And that's actually super different from a lot of other equipment that we usually see, which would totally work like Sword of the Animist, for example. If you've got a Sword of the Animist on your Karn and you're passing it around to other people, the sword still belongs to you and the sword has its own triggered ability rather than giving text to the creature that it's equipped to. And there are plenty of the Sword of Cycle that have... Uh, 
uh, similar effects too, where the trigger belongs to the sword, which is still yours, rather than a creature ability. But the Reaver Cleaver is different in that regard, and that definitely passed me by. So I really appreciate this challenge to point that out because I mean, I certainly didn't notice it, and uh, it'd be nice to not be blown out by my own Reaver Cleaver. Yeah, I, I would very much not like to give my opponent. 10 mana because I had a little bit of an oversight. So this is this is a fantastic catch. Um, I love challenges like this. So very, very good job this week, Simeon. Fantastic. Okay, fellas, we're going back into our topic here, looking at this Arden and Essior deck of Dana's. And um, Dana, I don't know. I'm kind of interested to talk about some specific cards that you do not play in this deck, which have kind of caught my eye. Um, specifically, there are a lot of classic equipment that I can't help but notice are absent from your list. Um, and this could be a long list of equipment that you're not playing here, but they are noteworthy. Uh, bear with me, everyone. Argentum Armor. Big plus six, destroys stuff. I mean, that's a really big classic one that Arden loves to equip. You don't use Fire Shrieker, the double strike equipment. Uh, Masterwork of Ingenuity, the equipment that copies things. Um, a new Thran Power Suit is a cool buff that's similar to a Nettlesist effect. The card Shadow Spear, even Swiftfoot Boots. These are all equipment that you are not using in your deck. And knowing you and how meticulous you are about your decks, I know that there's some red string theory going on about why these equipment have not made it into your list list and i'm curious to hear i have a theory but i want to hear if i'm right so dana go ahead <laughs> um, sure so um first of all uh, a mana value is, is a factor for some of them argentum armor being one because i can equip stuff with with arden I, I found i was much better served playing multiple pieces of equipment that i could equip for free than i was playing one big one that i could equip for free it made it much easier for folks to solve a problem by deleting that one piece of equipment than it is if I have two or three out. Okay. Um, and again, because I'm drawing a lot of cards, I oftentimes have the option to play two or three pieces of equipment. And I have Savin's Reclamation in the deck, which lets me bring things back from a graveyard and it won't hit Argentum Armor. Yep. So I just found efficiently costed equipment was was way more useful to me than like a big home run hitter like Argentum Armor. Um, I think I only have one piece of equipment in the entire deck that I can't hit with Savin's Reclamation, and that is, um, and that would be Batter Skull. So like I, I kept everything very lean intentionally. The Fire Shrieker was one of those situations where I ran into a couple of games where it didn't stack um, the ability that you get from stuff like Halvar, God of Battle, and that annoys me. Like I, 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 I find myself getting frustrated by by something that I draw in my hand and I oh I can't really use this because something else does the same thing. Um, so I just found like I was better off running something else that that punched somebody in the face. I, I think I wound up putting in Imperial Plate instead, which you know doesn't give me double strike, but like it's going to add five or six or eight or ten sometimes damage onto the swing as well. So like it kind of does the same thing, but it's going to stack with Halvar in a way Fire Shrieker didn't. So that was the reason like Fire Shrieker in particular didn't make the cut there. So there's, there's usually an answer for all the stuff. Masterwork of Ingenuity, there was one or two times where I, I had a piece of equipment out that like I didn't want to copy. And I'm like, I just wish this was a piece of equipment that what that, that was doing something different than than copying, you know, if I have just a Black Blade Reforge on it, it doesn't do me any good. So mm. I, it's it's a personal thing where I tend to get a little bit frustrated by a piece of equipment that does that isn't almost always playable and usable every single time. Yeah, Dana, I I'm glad that my theory was right. Looking at the deck, there's several cards that mention having mana value of three or less. You have Kayla's Re Reconstruction as well that you, 
three is kind of that magic number in the deck. So I'm glad that my mm-hmm. my spidey sense was going off and I was on the same page as you. Uh, I like the restriction because you do get a lot of flexibility with cards like that, uh, being able to get those important ones back. And then, yeah, just dumping your hand. There, there's a whole lot of value in doing that because you're skirting the mana cost anyways. So yeah, getting around one big thing and instead doing a few other things there, there's a lot of wisdom to that, and I, I really appreciate that. Another one, too, like talking about I, – I, looking at our show notes here, one of the things Joey's asking, what is Dispatch? Oh, um, oh, yes. Which, which in this kind of deck winds up oftentimes being a better source of plowshares or Path to Exile. Um, but, you know, sometimes it isn't if I don't have enough pieces of equipment or artifacts out. That was a situation where I, at some point I, I just – needed something that hit multiple targets more than I needed a third piece of creature removal. So I, like that came out at some point for something like unexpectedly absent or generous gift or something that was able to hit multiple targets. So dispatch is fantastic in this kind of deck. And there, I, I absolutely can see a situation where I rotate it back in, but at the, the point in time, I just wanted something that had that hit, hit more different paths and I wanted something hyper efficient that only hit creatures. This is interesting to me. Dana, I feel like the vibe I'm kind of getting from, like, as you describe these cards that you're not playing, it, that, I, I mean this in the best way, buddy, I promise. Um, I feel like the vibe I get from you a little bit here is that you have a bit of a, you have failed me for the last time, star scream. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, I take this, I take this personally. Yeah. I, no, no. No joke, years ago when I used to play sports games, if like a player would like fumble the football or something in a game, I would absolutely bench that player and take them out of the the lineup and put somebody else in play just to like teach them a lesson, maybe motivate them a little bit to play better next game. I would 100% do that in sports games. It's kind of the same thing here. Like you have failed me, Fire Shrieker, you have lost your job. Someone else has stepped up and came off the bench and they're going to do it better than you did. So, so, but Dana, that doesn't explain Shadow Spear. That's one card that I, I have absolutely 100% a fan of. I've had great success with it. And there's a lot of utility beyond the actual abilities that it gives to the creatures. Why did you skip Shadow Spear other than the fact that it's like a $25 card now? Which would be a good reason. I, I do have one and I did run it in the in the deck for some period of time. A um, couple of reasons. The, Trample, for the most part, wound up being redu- redundant mm-hmm. because so many of my things give protection from colors sure. that Trample winds up kind of being irrelevant when stuff can't block you anyway. Um, so beyond that, the abilities it gives is plus one, plus one, lifelink, and I have the ability to remove Hexproof or Indestructible from permanence. Right. Um, it's it's really good, and maybe I should try it again. Um, but it, I just remember putting it on a on my creatures multiple times and being like, I just, it, it it felt like it did a bunch of things, but it never did them frequently enough to, to change a game. Whereas something that seems way simpler, like Imperial plate that I already mentioned once that consistently made a difference. Like being able to give my, my creature plus seven plus seven, almost every time I drew that was relevant. Whereas there was enough times I drew shadow spear and felt like it wasn't relevant. I feel like the if if the lesson that I took away from Matt's deck list last, last week was a a thing about like optimizing for your own play experience that you're you're not trying to just like tune the deck within an inch of its life but Matt is very focused on like I want to create some memories with this thing. I want to make it easy and fun for me to play and therefore easy and fun for everyone else to enjoy as well. The lesson that I feel like I'm taking away from yours is that redundancy issue is that you are very 
very keen to avoid any instances where this equipment is doing the exact same thing as that other equipment and I'm not getting as much bonus as I can. Mm -hmm. This dispatch, I only have two artifacts, so it's not going to be as reliable as it could be. It feels like you don't want to have almost any level of that redundancy in here so that you can that that is another way of fabricating a more unique experience every time that you do it and you'll be happy to see any card that you draw yes very much so like I, whenever i draw it i want it to feel like it's it's got a home and it's useful and it's going to advance my my game state versus just being something that's okay um and I, that, that sounds like I was sure when I first built this deck, like literally one of the first pieces of equipment I put in was Shadow Spear. And I was convinced it was going to just be a bomb every time. And it was one of those things that every time it just felt okay. And I, want, I wanted everything that, I was, that was worthy of a slot to feel more than just okay. Yeah. And, and it's so interesting because that is just such the opposite of how I build. Like, like for real, like for me, I'm just like, oh, if there's one effect that does x thing uh, I, you know swords to pleasures being the classic example sure well then i'm going to want that dispatch because i want that redundancy and it's just like it's going to be amazing you like th that's the type of thing that is like mind bending for me i'm just like oh would you get rid of the dispatch just because it disappointed you one time star scream like that doesn't <laughs> that is not the way that i build if i have one version of effect if i have like one plague crafter i'm going to want all of the things that are three mana make people sacrifice stuff like i'm very much that type of uh, a deck builder and that is the exact opposite way that you've taken in this and that is really informative because that speaks to the way that you will be able to enjoy the cards that you draw and, and I, I think actually i remember dispatch was a card i took out for resculpt because the thought process was i'm paying one more mana to have the option to hit one additional card type hmm. still at instant speed it's still an exile effect so i'm like that felt worthwhile to me and then resculpt turned into unexpectedly absent at some point i believe is what happened so yeah it, it was a situation where like I was willing to sacrifice a little bit of efficiency for more utility. And that was the, 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 the card that was the best one to remove for that utility. Another thing I'll note, like in an early iteration of the deck, I had a few more things that copied um, my existing equipment. Because um, like on the list, Joe, you mentioned Masterwork of Ingenuity. Um, and, and part of the reason I pulled that was because I hit a few situations where it, it let me, or like I couldn't really use it because of what I had out. But more than that, it, I actually found I just wanted to run a bunch of equipment <laughs> and like I, I would rather one some run something even if it might not be quite as good like you know masterwork copying a sword is always going to be amazing um, but I wanted to run a different sword or I wanted to like run something else that I wasn't already running same reason why like Frexian Metamorph or Sculpting Steel aren't in the list mm. I mean technically I'm probably better off anything I'm going to copy with a Sculpting Steel is probably better off than my you know, 15th best piece of equipment. But I also just like wanted to run that 15th piece of equipment and have it just be something <laughs> that you didn't usually see versus just, you know, copying the same like three gray pieces. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Hey, well, well, Dana, so we challenged the stats and didn't let Joey do the segue. So we'll, we'll I want to steal <laughs> the segue again. Uh, so, so last week, again, you both took an opportunity to, to suggest some cards that I wasn't currently playing in my, in my deck and I want to encourage you, I know you've taken a look at them because the cards that I absolutely would love for this deck are, they're already in your maybe board, but I I would really like you to give them another gander. I, we already talked about Shadow Spear. You broke my heart. I get it. <laughs> but but a couple cards that I really, really enjoy, especially because you talked about why you're not playing Fire Striker. You're not playing equipments that give double strike. So cards that have native double strike turn into such a, just a hammer, not 
Colossus Hammer, but like a literal card that's just going to beat through. Uh, Bronze Guardian is a card that the deck that I have it in isn't very good, but the card itself is. So it, Bronze Guardian, four and a white for a uh, star five with double strike and ward two. Other artifacts you control have ward two. And then Bronze Guardian's power is equal to the number of artifacts you control. So I don't have to say, but I'm going to for the listeners, Bronze Guardian gets huge really quick in this deck and equipping a whole bunch of stuff on there. I don't think it's too far to the question to say Bronze Guardian lands and you probably knock somebody out that turn. I mean, grant, it, it go to combat with it not having summoning sickness or anything like that. But also another card that I assume it's not there because you're not playing a whole lot of creatures, but Heavenly Blade Master. That's another one. You're able to skirt a lot of the equipment costs. You're able to buff up all of your other creatures. I, I assume Heavenly Blade Master, correct me if I'm wrong, it's not there because you're only playing 11 creatures in the deck. Maybe if you're playing something like Side Master Thopterist next to Blade Master, that might be a package that you incorporate in. But if you were able to go wide, I I love Heavenly Blade Master. I also, I'm biased, I love going wide myself. But maybe those few cards, something you could reconsider as well. So interesting that you mention um, Bronze Guardian. I was just looking at that this morning because I was, the show airs, we've gotten most of the spoilers for um, Obi-Wan, Phyrexia, and um, the most recent set. Mm -hmm. So I was already like trying to find a spot for the Sword of Hearth and, or sort of a, a Fortune Frontier. Um, and in the process of starting at the deck, I was looking at Bronze Guardian again and like mentally trying to like decide if I wanted to swap a Leon and a Bunus with it, which is one less mana, it's three and a white, and it gives um, mm -hmm. artifacts you control hexproof. So that so I was mentally like, okay, is it worth downgrading? Because because Bronze Guardian gives um, equipment or artifacts you control ward too, excuse me. So it ward isn't as good as hexproof, but like no, it's pretty good. It's probably going to solve a, like no one's going to be able to remove multiple things. They might have the mana to remove one thing, but I'm like that's definitely a downgrade. But is the double strike upgrade and the ability to suit up Bronze Guardian and make it just hit like a truck worth that swap? probably so so i was literally just mentally going over all this this morning and trying to decide if i wanted to make that move so so um hearing you say that makes me probably reconsider makes me want to make that that swap even more i think i'm going to give that one a go for sure yeah you, you just especially with all the equipments that you have in there you, you have the sort of x and y you have a whole bunch of those in there but you also have cards like mask of memory cards that they care about when you deal combat damage and putting cards like that on a creature with double strike, that always just seems to make my heart feel warm inside. Uh, so <laughs> maybe it does the same thing for you. Especially because Bronze Guardian is an artifact, which will tick up your Nettle Cyst, but also you can copy it with Echo Storm. Sure. You can get a lot of Bronze Guardians with Echo Storm. Exactly, yeah. Ah, I love Echo Storm. There it is. I, yeah, I'm, I'm way into that suggestion. And also, Matt, your suggestion there for Dana to look into would also synergize really well with a card that I am wondering why Dana doesn't play because I think it's fabulous. And it also has a combat damage trigger. And Dana, if you want to have a very cheap equipment that will provide you with a lot of power and which Arden will help cheat a lot of costs around, then I find it strange that you don't have a blood-forged battle axe in this fantastic deck. Because this thing just, from I feel like it runs away with games. Blood-forged battle axe, one mana, plus two, plus O oh, uh, is what it gives the equipped creature. And it equips for two, but whenever the equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, 
it makes a copy of itself. And then Arden will just like cheat that onto a thing and then you hit someone again and it will make two copies of itself. And then you keep doing that. And then this one card can just like take care of all of the power that you'll ever need. It takes up your other artifact matter stuff like uh, the Shimmer Dragon that you mentioned earlier. I don't know. I feel like this would do a lot of stuff with with the deck, and so I—that's the one that I want you to consider a little bit. I, I, I looked at it bef- at some point in the past, and I can't remember what. I, I think it was a situation where, like, I don't know what to cut. All my babies are beautiful and unique and special <laughs> in this deck. I don't know what I'm going to pull out. Very fair. Um, very. But fair. that's a that's a really good point. And you know what? At the very least, what I will do um, is try it out. And if it doesn't work, it's very easy to pull it back out again. Cause it's, it's a card that I definitely know I have. And if, if I don't, it's relatively inexpensive anyway. So at the very least as an experiment, I can test it out and, and report back down the road here, how that worked. It's just, it's got, it's a, it does a lot. It just fills up a board. It's just so fun. So, so I just think you'll like it. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's also something I can do on turn one, which is useful because um, not a lot of my equipments give me the option. Commander's Plate basically is the only one that I can cast on turn one when I, you know, underneath SEOR and then play SEOR, then play Arden and equip it immediately onto onto SEOR on turn three. That's a good reason to run it as well. So I, I, I will, I, you know, you have convinced me and I have convinced myself. Woo! I'll give it a try. Well, Dana, before we wrap up your favorite episode that we've ever done, talking about yourself and, and a pet <laughs> deck of yours, are there? do you have any parting nuggets of wisdom, anything you have tip-wise for folks considering an Arden and SEOR deck for themselves? Just anything you wanted to, to throw in before we wrap up this week? Uh, the advice I have would, would it be less about this deck and just the concept of, uh, of building outside what you normally are accustomed to doing for a, a particular like archetype, mm-hmm. in this case, equipment. Because um, we talked about on our New Year's Resolution show, one of the things I had wanted to do was just kind of take a flyer on decks more often and just try them versus spending so much time like theory crafting and not actually putting them in paper until I was sure they were going to work. Um and one of the this is a good example of a deck where I spent a ton of time on it, but even after doing so, it wasn't until I actually got it in out in cardboard and did reps that I realized how well some of the things synergized together and found a lot of the intricacies that I just you never would have found until I actually built a deck. Um, so I, I guess I will tie back to that resolution of mine. Just just build decks sometimes. Just like take chances. Zorius equipment is not something that's really a supported archetype, but like it worked really well. And if you've got an idea, um, try it, like just throw the cards together, you know, go get some reps and see how it works. And maybe it won't work, but like, maybe you'll find out, like I said, I, I was not expecting this to be a deck that I could aggro out my commanders that quickly, but it worked out really nicely that I could just get some reps and find out. Cause I, particularly when you're dealing with, with with color pairs that don't usually do that particular thing, um, it, it winds up being a lot of kind of unexplored territory. It's a lot of fun, and you'll find a lot of cool things. That's cool. That's a very good lesson. I, I have one final question on my end for you, too, actually. It just popped into my head. Like, I know that you like to be a little bit hipster, a little bit unusual with the stuff that you're doing. It seems a little bit more off the wall as opposed to the mainstream stuff that I like to do. If Watsi makes more Azorius equipment stuff in the future... Is that going to make you want to take this deck apart? Or like, <laughs> like genuinely I'm, asking? I, I, like, I am not going to lie. It would. It definitely would annoys me and makes me <laughs> not want to play a deck. If like there's a precon that comes out with like an Azorius equipment commander and a ton of 
stuff that like would would make someone want to build that pre-con deck that looks a lot like this. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if, I'm, uh, if I'm being truthful, it would make me not want to play it or find a maybe move it over to an Orzhov deck or something. Who knows? Oh. Um, <laughs> yes, I I, I I am not immune to being in my own head about stuff like that for sure. These whippersnappers coming and taking an idea that I thought was all mine. <laughs> just, I don't know. It's just a, absolutely. I just think I think it's funny that when Watsy puts. <laughs> A deck idea into different colors. Joey's like, okay, cool. I can do this idea in different colors now. And Dana takes it as, gosh darn, I just want to be alone. <laughs> it's a personal, it's a personal just affront to the, me. The, the hipster <laughs> factor went all out the window and you just grumble on your front porch. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Yeah, there's there's a lot to take away. But Dana being a curmudgeon is the most important that, lesson that of is, episode that we ever could have reached. That, that is a very astute observation. Oh, goodness. All right. With that, I think we probably will now call this episode to a close. But listeners, again, you can check out the deck lists in the description for any of our shows if you want to check these out. And we'd definitely like to know any of your Voltron or equipment decks and what you've learned from those processes as well, because there's a lot to learn in. These are pretty intricate deck lists for sure. But with that, fellas, how about we let our listeners know where they can find us if they want to get in touch with us online? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, that's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, you can watch us playing all these decks and more Wednesday evenings over at twitch.tv slash EDHRecCast, where we have guests on every single week. It's always a super fun time, so make sure you tune in for all of that as well. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. You can find me for a few weeks longer on my other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and Commander's Herald, and you can find me where all curmudgeons are, up in the balcony, heckling the Muppets. <laughs> what? <laughs> the Statler to my Waldorf. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz, and you can find the cast at EDH Retcast on the onlines. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRetcast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. And listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>